Hello and welcome to the Event Lab podcast, your window into the events conversation, brought to you by Hirespace. Are you getting the recognition you deserve for your achievements? I'm sitting down with the author of the recognition book, Paul Warriner, to discuss his tips for standing out and getting recognised. I think the biggest mistake is not having a plan. And the most common thing is that uh, it happens by default. Then we've got some essential advice for project communication from the Director of Redefining Communications, Jenny Field. So if you're leading that event, so for me, whenever I've been doing events, I would, uh, you know, depending on the lead time to it, I might have monthly meetings, then as it gets closer, they're fortnightly and then they're weekly face-to-face. But first, sustainability. What actionable steps can the industry take to improve? And Modern Orators, the News Digest panel, discusses the best speakers they've seen at events. On the panel this week, Ed Poland is joined by Sam Allen and Richard Groves, along with special guest Laura Capel-Abra from No More Ifs or Buts, as they sit down for the News Digest. Evening, everyone. Evening, Ed. Good evening, Hi. Ed. Welcome back, Sam Allen. Wearing the brightest, yellowest trousers the Always. podcast has ever seen. It's Always spring. sunny. You can see it through your wireless. <laughs> Richard Groves. Good afternoon. Wearing a lovely suit. Thank you very much indeed. And making a pod debut, it's Laura Capalabra. Hi. Career coach, mentor, well, well-being expert. Oh, all of the, all of the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been, Laura? Very well, thank you. I'm disappointed I haven't dressed up quite so much as Sam for the spring, but... I'm going to take my learning as my, after the podcast debut, this is what I need to do. Think more about my uh, outfit. It would be impossible to, to outshine Sam today, I think. I am a beacon. Shining light. Shining light. Thank you. <laughs> sustainability. We have talked a bit about sustainability on the Event Lab podcast, at Event Lab events. But, you know, it is really coming to a head at the moment. We have the Extin- Extinction Rebellion basically Mm -hmm. bringing Westminster, bringing London to a halt. Mm -hmm. We've got Greta, Swedish teenager Greta. Has everyone seen Greta's contribution? Yeah. Getting a train to event rather than uh, flights. Greta really is amazing. I don't know if anyone heard her talking on the radio recently. Yeah, she's incredible. Mm. Radio 4, wasn't it? Inspiring, yeah. People who were there just said the room was totally silent and absorbed from a 16-year-old telling off everybody from Michael Gove up or down, depending on which way you look at it. I'm putting it in just such layman's terms. You know, this is a crisis. If your house was burning down, you would do something about it. This is exactly what this is. I mean, it's very simplistic, but it's extraordinarily to the point, Stupid. isn't it? Mm. I think that's why it cuts through, is because she's saying it in language people understand. And why could we not connect with her? There's a difference between listening to a young girl like that or listening to a scientist or an academic who maybe we can't relate to is a great person to bring that message forward, I think. Mm. It really was unbelievable. I mean, you hear all these po- interviews that we've got with politicians at the moment and she completely so polished every single mm. answer mm. spot on if she's right she said that the uk is irresponsible on the climate i i thought we were dipping back into into the events industry are we as an industry doing enough on sustainability can we hold our hands up and say that we're doing everything we can and i thought i'd ask you you guys what the tangible things that all of our listeners everyone in the uk and beyond who puts on events and hosts events what can they do tangible things to make a difference and stop our planet falling apart we are a 
um, very wasteful industry. You know, everything from ripping up carpet in XL and throwing it away to building sets to b burning fuel to put lights on and throwing food away at the end of the night because not everybody turned up. It's wholeheartedly a wasteful industry. Mm. However, for the last 10 years, we've been trying to counteract that a little bit as much as we can. And there are certain things you can do and certain things you can't. The way we look at it is... If you're booking an event, what's your venue's policy on it? Because you can't do it on your own as, as the event organiser. You can't you can't do your carbon footprint on your own. You have to do with the, with the people you're working with, and whether that is with the caterer to say I want you know zero to landfill. What are you going to do with your waste food if, at the end of the day? What are you going to do with your staff travel? What are you going to do about getting the deliveries here? What what sort of paper are you writing on at the at the conference? Everybody gets a pad and a pencil. You know what's happened to all those, and and what, what's the what's the story about the, where that's come from? We had our smart group AGM last Wednesday, and we, we suddenly realised that we we're about to trip in the same mistake as everybody makes. So we put a lovely new pad on the table with everybody's name on it, um, with, made with cork and recycled paper. So the, I, I don't know whether it floats; so you can make notes in the bath, but it looked very attractive, and, it, and the, the, the cover is renewable. And the little pencils have got little seeds in the top where the rubber normally goes. And if you um, sharpen your pencil and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller, you can plant it and you grow another pencil. That's lovely. No, I've yet, Love I've that yet to try it out, so I'll come back in a few months' time and tell you whether I've got new lead in my pencil. But you'll see whether it grows <laughs> and grows and grows. That is super nice. Going paperless, I mean, seems seems a seems a fairly fairly obvious one. Uh, yeah, and I think a lot of organisations, a lot of events do it already, but they don't necessarily think about its sustainability. I think it's quite interesting where some people do it for a financial reason rather than necessarily going paperless for um, a sustainable reason. And I think it's, uh, like, I love the ideas there about actually some really neat ways of doing it rather than just saying we're going to cut out paper mm -hmm. and cutting things out for the sake of it, actually trying to come up with a bit more innovative approach to doing something. And I think one of the things that I'm really kind of passionate about is can we make a small change that we all agree to make a change on? So something like the plastic bags where you can't get a plastic bag in a shop now without paying for it. It's a really small thing that everybody understands. And actually, can we make that commitment in the events industry? And we were saying, you know, something like water. You know, we all drink water. We're all encouraged to drink water for our well-being as well. Actually, can we stop water bottles at all events and everybody has flasks? And we talk to everybody about that and it's that one change that everybody can do and then we can build other changes on top of that and take it small step at a time rather than that broad approach of let's do something better. There's very few people out in the world now who don't have a water bottle. So mm. in terms of communication from an event organiser point of view, we do the know before you go email, which pretty much is the only email um, delegates ever look at mm. just before they're about to leave. So actually highlight, please remember to bring your water bottle. Please remember to bring your reusable cup. We've all got them. Mm. There isn't an excuse. And I think from a from an event industry point of view, Sort of looking at some of the stuff that we talk around Global Meetings Industry Day and, and you know, organisations like Positive Impact is we've got to start committing to action. We can't keep on saying, yes, we need to look at things for sustainable events. We actually need to say this is a commitment. Mm. And whether that's national or globally, then it, it needs action now. Yeah, I think it's got to be small things. I think saying Give up the goodie bag. Yeah. Hashtag Brilliant give one. up the goodie bag. <laughs> you always find on the way to the tube station, slitted along the road. That's it. How many times have you kept them? Yeah, there are always things that get thrown away. There's a venue um, who some time ago, I don't know if they do it, so I'm name-checking them anyway, The Mermaid, rather than giving any of the clients coming in for site visits a goodie bag, which tends or used to be the norm, mm. they actually gave a contribution to Meeting Needs, which is um, the, mm. one of the event industry charities. 
And there isn't one meeting planner that didn't appreciate that, as mm. far as I'm aware. Mm. You know, we're not going to do it for... So, it's again, it's not just about... Sustainability isn't about just, you know, climate change. It's people, planet, profit. So everybody benefits from that. It's a really good message for the mermaid in terms mm. of PR. It's good because it's helping people via meeting needs. The meeting planner can appreciate it from their CSR mm. perspective. So it doesn't have to cost and if we message it in the right way, I think communication is, is important. Communication and action. Well, delegates love goodie bags, don't they? <laughs> yes, Do you know what? I went to, and it's just picking up on your point and a kind of an example, I went to an event at Twickenham a while ago. And when we all left the event, it was in the winter sometime, we all left the event and got given a branded um, flask with your choice of tea, coffee, mulled wine and water, I think it was. When I was leaving that event and it was pretty cold, I wanted a hot drink mm. when I was doing it. So it was really thought, well, I considered it really thought through goodie bag although it not being a bag with literature on it the only good stuff for me is those things like that those tangible things that you want to use and actually you don't need to have a whole bag's worth of yeah. those things we've got so many hemp bad bags <laughs> now at home that we don't need any more with um, any confidence names on them do we and yeah, again true. everything is around a paradigm <laughs> shift isn't it you know, we have to create the action yes delegates like giveaways but actually don't they also like breathing fresh air? Don't they also mm. like, you know, protecting their planet? So we have to create, at some point we have to draw a line and say, well, yes, that was a really nice thing, but we're not going to do that anymore. And we're shifting on things like that in terms of, you know, boozing on stands. So, mm. you know, the world, our industry is maturing. And also we've got to push out and promote that outside just the event industry. It's got to be, you know, our event organisers, events, whatever sector it is, because, yeah, it's, it's um, you know, act said, now. As you said, Sam, it's the communication piece. I think actually it's great if we do some of these things, but actually I think it's important where you're saying about the meeting needs example that actually telling people what you're going to do and why you're doing it, I think is really important. So actually, yeah, if you do get rid of goodie bags, don't just necessarily get rid of them. Actually tell people that you're thinking through and it's a conscious decision you've decided to remove goodie bags. But you can make it as well a massive marketing exercise. So coming from a marketing Marcom's point of view, if you are running a, a major event which you know you, we've all been involved in and you've got a great big screen sharing the story that you've you know, for example with the money that you would have invested in a goodie bag you've built a forest mm. you've you, yeah. you know what a story and what a promotion so sort of self selfless promotion mm. but for the good of the planet you know you can make it work and make it profitable for everybody mm. i think we've got a million ways to excite and delight and inform and amaze people at events probably maybe the goodie bag is 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 something to become well, a relic, a thing yeah, of the past. Yeah. <laughs> what about transport? Laura, you had a good point earlier. We were talking about this and you, you talked about supply. I mean, I, I think many events, most events now make an effort to communicate to their delegates that they, you know, they encourage public transport and mm. they make it very easy to travel by public transport. You had a point about event suppliers. Yeah, I think um, to the point of actually looking at your um, your entire event, it's looking at the uh, the supplier group and saying, okay, looking further down that chain or further up that chain, whichever way you look at it, what are they doing? Actually, can we be a little bit more flexible in, in terms of the whole chain and say, right, you know what, I need to deliver things five days early to my event because I've already got a truck going there. Actually, venue, you're going to have to be a little bit more um, accepting of that. Can we find some space for those things? I've got to deliver early because it's far better if we've only got one truck going down rather than two, for example. And I think asking those questions of the network, to your point as well, Richard, that actually we sometimes we do the easy thing. Um, sometimes it's the cheaper thing as well, don't get me wrong, but sometimes we do the easy thing because now we've thought of it, we need to get it sorted. And actually, can we think of it a little bit more in advance 
and have those relationships where actually we're just a little bit cleverer with our supply chain to be able to have a bit more of a sustainable approach, as you say, as to transport. But that goes yeah. the whole way through, you know, what companies, um, how are they doing their catering? How are they using plastic? Actually, the more we investigate our supply chain, the more we can actually genuinely take responsibility and say we are doing the most we can because we might personally be able to do the most we can. But actually, are all the elements of our supply chain in that event doing as much as they physically can? Yeah, great idea. And to put it into context as a summation of this and, and why we're thinking about it for the next generation, my 11-year-old son has had a constant stream of lanyards delivered to him after events I've been to for the last four or five years, and he loves them. And he's got a whole collection on his wall. Apart from the other day, I bought one back and he said, Daddy, this is getting a bit wasteful. I don't need another one, and I think you should have handed it back so someone else could have used it. Uh, my That's why we're doing it. is ban the lanyard. Could your son be the, the Greta of the warrior, IMEX actually doing quite an interesting thing. I thought read read this out quickly. So IMEX is obviously coming up in ne- next month yeah, in May. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've asked all of their exhibitors. I th- I'm not exactly sure how many. I think something like thirty thousand companies exhibit in some shape or form at, at IMEX. It's huge numbers. Something like that. Um, anyway, so they've they're, they're doing a they're they're asking all of their exhibitors um, to to make a sustainable pledge and to agree to uh, to do three of the following pledges all of their exhibitors i'll read them out very quickly so um all exhibitors have to do at least three of these things they have to tick a box saying which ones they're doing so it's reduce all single single use plastics and paper including brochures join the imx refill movements and not provide bottled water order a water cooler and bring reusable water bottles for the team three appoint a waste management champion to encourage waste reduction on the stand Four, talk to a stand constructor about what they can do to reduce the waste they create. Five, use public transport or walk where possible to the show. Six, offset our travel to the show through a carbon offset program. Seven, consider ordering sustainable catering. Eight, reduce or only offer sustainable gifts or giveaways. And nine, attend a sustainability education session at the show to learn new tips so every single exhibitor has to fill out this form in which they uh, which they agree to do at least three of these things i think that's brilliant yep and share with i think what we want to do is share with with the group that'd be great to put on maybe your website we, because that's a simple thing that every mm. event organizer could yeah. commit to whichever event it is so there you go I think the I think the final one you finished on there with the education one I feel like there's certain ones of those that I feel like should be mandatory yeah you know actually it's great being a champion it's great doing these things but actually I think the the education one that you mentioned at the end there I kind of feel like that should be the mandatory one everybody has to do whether or not it's listening to it online or attending a physical session and actually there's always something more you can do and you might not have found the right ones for you in that selection of pledges but maybe next year there's something else you can do and I think maybe that kind of enforcing that education piece is a is a really really interesting way of kind of moving on as an industry brilliant really tangible and actually we've got karina bauer who's the ceo of imax is mm-hmm. is on the uh, of, of imax is on the event lab podcast next time so listeners if you have any questions for karina if you want to ask her anything about sustainability or anything else she is on the podcast next week so do send them through to us event lab at higherspace.com moving on who have been the best most inspiring speakers that you guys have seen um bill clinton particularly i remember everyone um, says this about bill clinton oh, big billingsgate job um he sort of swept in there's been lots of chat lots of other people there lots of really good people and then he came in and he just held the room 
what he had to say was quite important um, and, and very pertinent and, and well thought out and crafted, and it was a very good speech. You know, 45 minutes is quite a long time. He is also very engaging. He was very funny, and everybody in the room felt they had a piece of Bill Clinton that day. I think mine is potentially more down to the content than necessarily the speaker. Um, Louise, I think her surname's Trion, uh, she was the vice president of Bumble, the um, dating app that's kind of seen as the feminist um, dating oh, app. She's got an her. interesting story, hasn't she? Yeah, it was a really interesting story. And I saw her at an event um, the end of last year talking about the brand. And so I, I know probably that was probably the thing that kind of um, drew me to it more. But just the concept that actually for them, um, this concept of equality was so important that it just came through in every single thing that this business does and the way they approach things and the tack- the things they tackle in terms of things that are totally outside of a dating app remit, but they've taken it as a purpose. And she was really inspiring and one telling the story, um, but also actually making you walk away and think, well, hang on a minute. Actually, what's my purpose? What, how, you know, how can I take this further in terms of the way I do things? And it made me kind of really believe that actually, you know, we we can talk about whatever it is our business does, but how much do we really believe it and and filter that through every single thing we're doing? Which is what I got from them was that every single decision they made, they had this equality piece and particularly kind of raising the female equality because of where it is at the moment as being through and through every decision they made was based on that. And I think it's quite easy sometimes in business to base your decisions on what feels like the right thing financially, for example, not necessarily for the purpose um, of what you're trying to achieve. And I thought she was great. Sam? Oh. It's not a hospital pass this time. You've had plenty of time. Thank you. I mean, there are so many, you know, excellent speakers and they they move you in in various different ways. Um, To keep on the theme of sustainability and sort of, you know, quite current, um, I had the pleasure of introducing the keynote at EMEC, um, MPI European Meeting and Events Conference in February. Um, this amazing Dutch guy called Dan Hoelzerhader. Not an easy name to say. He's a Dutch artist and is um, incredible. His sort of his ethos is around dreaming big, and he is passionate about sustainability and and art. So he's done a whole load of projects, and I really would recommend you Google him. But the one I I want to sort of share with the readers is that he's created this smog-free project. So he was in Beijing, and he was there when it was all beautiful. And then you know two days later, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And he's he sits there and says there has to be something that we can do about this. So he's created, for want of a better thing, um, smog hoovers. So they are towers that you can put in an area which actually hoover the smog in over a certain radius and create clean air in that area. So you can put that in the middle of a park or or a particular area. It's absolutely genius. He goes one further because then he's collating this waste. This waste is carbon. If you do something with carbon, you can create what? Ink. If you heat carbon... It becomes sparkly, diamonds. So he's creating jewellery. Mm. So actually you can buy a smog-free ring from the website. So you actually, you're wearing a ring that has cleaned up 2,000 cubic metres of dirty air. So the journey through is like there isn't even any waste left mm. from the smog-free, you know, tower. Um, he's looking at space waste. There's 
a huge problem. We're thinking about our planet. There's a massive problem with space waste. Mm. Mm. And actually, he's looking and he's working with um, a certain space agency around um, how we can actually turn certain bits of space waste into what we call fireworks. The fireworks are hugely awful for the environment. But actually, how can we use um, the space waste artistically to also clean up the environment in space? Because we have a massive problem. He was inspiring because it was about... No, nothing's wrong. If you dream big, he's created a seat for his clients, which is called the Yes But Seat. So when they start talking about these projects, you know, and we've all had clients, it doesn't matter whether you're an innovator or not, who start talking and the, the thing that happens is they say, yes, but. And as soon as they say that, they get an electric shock. <laughs> so he's taking it out. So I found the sort of the energy, the fact that, you know what, we've got to dream big. It ties in with what Greta's been saying, how mm. we started this podcast. And yeah, very inspiring. Well, amazing. If someone's doing that many inspiring things, they're bound to be amazing speaker. Mm. Guys, we have raced through this episode. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sam. Pleasure, as always. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Richard. Thank you very much. And Laura, you've been fantastic. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you coming today. Thank you for welcoming me in. Well, I hope you'll come again. (laughs) Absolutely. See you next time, guys. Take care. Have a good couple of weeks. Up next, I'm joined by Paul Warner, author and coach with over 15 years of experience in training people to be their best as he shares his advice for standing out and getting the recognition you deserve. Paul, welcome to the Event Lab podcast. It is great to have you with us. Thank you very much. Great to be here. You are the the mind behind 50 ways to step up, stand out and get recognised. Mm-hmm. We're hoping you could share some of that knowledge with us this evening. But I guess just, just starting off, kind of what, what inspired you to write the recognition book? Um, it goes back away. 2008, I made some notes about how to be the perfect employee. I was doing some training for a company. I was training new starters, supervisors, team leaders. And there were a couple of themes that kept coming through. I thought, what do the bosses want? What does a good employee look like? And I was talking around the subject a lot with the people in the training courses. And that gave me some ideas about sort of things I could talk about, sort of things that they could deliver, how they could act pretty simple things like smiling, turning up on time, you know, saying hello in the morning. Very simple, basic things that uh, people look for in one another, in team members, uh, in their staff. That gave me the idea. So I started to make some notes and that was in 2008. I made some notes in a notebook and it sat on the shelf for pretty much nine, nine years. Then I bumped into somebody who was working at Lid Publishing. I said, oh, I've got a great idea for a book, you know, blowing my own trumpet. I told them the idea and they said, yes, I was like a great idea. At that point, I had to have another drink and uh, fell off my chair. And uh, from there, it just snowballed into writing this particular book. The title changed, the concept changed, the structure completely changed. But fundamentally, it was um, grounded in 2008 when I started doing that work for this particular company. We're very offence focused, but I think you know, regardless of industry, everyone wants to be recognised for their achievements and get the get the appreciation and credit they deserve. Um, do you think there are any common mistakes that you see people making when they kind of go out to start getting that recognition? I think the common theme is that people don't go out and get recognition. There's no plan for it. It happens by default a lot of the time. And certainly some of those people who get recognition don't really know when it's arrived 
or even what it's supposed to look like. And you can get recognised for the wrong things. You can be too loud, too brash, too abrasive, too pushy, too salesy, too arrogant. All the different things that sometimes the flip side of that coin is the subtlety. Um, so people who get recognised don't always get recognised for the right reasons. And um, But I think my experience is people don't have a plan of how to get recognised in you know, the simplest of jobs. You know, you could be an accounts clerk. You could be a sales account manager. Nobody has a plan. Nobody has a career path in their head. I think the biggest mistake is not having a plan. And the most common thing is that uh, it happens by default. So I think, you know, the book tells you a few things about how to put that, put that right and, you know, have a goal. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's fifty ways, but it, it the structure is is about a, a plan to put in place so that you can take active steps. Mm. Uh, like, so I guess where where do those active steps on your plan to being rec- recognised? Where do they begin? The recognition plan. It's it's nothing more complicated than a sheet of paper with four areas, and um, it's a bit like a mini business plan. You know, what are your goals? What are your aspirations? What do you be? What do you want to be recognised for? What are you good at? What aren't you good at? How do you treat people? Um, how do you want to be perceived in the workplace, your workplace, or indeed in any um, environment? And that could be in the home. It could be in the community. It, you know, it could be in the classroom. You know, what what do you want to be recognised for? I think recognition covers a multitude of sins too. You know, is it? What are you looking for? Are you looking for praise? Are you looking for more money? Are you looking for love, appreciation, some kind of reward, affection, intimacy? It could be a whole raft of different things. And, of course, the book applies to the workplace, but it could be applied to many different places too, the home, for example. But people don't really know what they want. And, of course, uh, you know, we all want to be recognised I believe for something to making a contribution, but what is my contribution? Mine happens to be a little book at the moment, um, and having some recognition for writing a book is uh, and praise for doing that is is more than enough reward, more than I thought I would ever achieve. Um, so, in the act of doing my recognition plan, in the process of writing this book, that's all come to fruition. I've sold some copies. You know, I could potentially call myself a successful author. And the things that come off the back of that are, you know, this podcast, um, the chance to speak at events, writing a blog, having people listen to you, you know, having people ask you questions that you think, oh, they wouldn't have done that if I hadn't have written a book or been able to talk about a particular topic. So I think um, having that plan, thinking about it, writing it down, looking at it every day, which is the same sort of advice you would talk about a business plan or any goal-setting exercise. And I think people don't approach a job, their first job, their third job, even a board member wouldn't really have that in place unless they'd gone through a structured process. So I think it's just applying some of the basics and there's nothing new in the book. It's just talking about stuff that's already out there and just reformatting it under the title of recognition. In that in that work environment, particularly I guess in a in a team environment where you're trying to get perhaps you're trying to get recognition with 
with your managers, with, with your boss, do you think it's possible for everyone to get kind of the recognition that they're seeking to get? Or do you think it, perhaps in some cases it is one person getting recognition means someone else might not? It's a good question because I think that everybody wants to be in the front, everybody wants to be in the limelight. And when I was uh, younger, um, and I always wanted to be the one in the spotlight. And then as I got older um, and became a coach and followed a different path, there's um, there's as much recognition in being behind somebody. You know, the coach that coached Tiger Woods. You know, um, there's recognition in that. You don't have to be in the limelight to get recognised. So in a team, the person who's getting all the glory might seem to have all the recognition, but astute managers know People don't do things on their own. There's a lot of team effort involved. There's no such thing as a self-made millionaire. There's always somebody else around supporting that process. And I think if you realise that recognition isn't just about money, it isn't just about the spotlight, it isn't just about the glory or the accolades or the headlines, it's about being a successful parent. You know, a lot of hard work goes into that and, you know, other parents recognise that. Um... But I have a situation at the moment where, you know, coaching a, a team of people, there's a front runner. There's somebody who's, you know, doing great. But then you look a little bit deeper and, you know, they're being supported by people. They couldn't really achieve what they have achieved if they didn't have people helping them. And I think the astute managers know that there's, you know, there's many people and many layers to that. So in answer to your question, I think, Everybody can get the recognition that they deserve. And if they want to be in the limelight and they can handle that, that's good. But it's okay, it's cool to be, you know, just behind the scenes. You know, like the engineer today, doing a great job. But you mentioned the the astute manager there who, I guess, has, has that, that sight to see everyone's contributions. I guess, would you have any, would you have any advice for for team leaders who, you know, how, how, how they can best recognise each member of their team? It's probably know your team. And again, in my experience, not every manager understands what motivates individual members of a team. Some people are motivated by being in the limelight, having all the praise and the glory and the pay rises and the opportunities. And other people are just happy to see other people happy. And if you don't understand your team fully... You don't know how to motivate them. So from a leadership perspective, understanding what floats people's boat, what gets them the recognition that they want is true because you can motivate somebody in the background and have them feel really special. You can reward them. You can thank them. You can do simple little things like talk to them every day, ask them how it's going. Um, And they feel special. It's about making people feel special. And you don't have to be the centre forward. Yeah, and then I guess just just thinking a little more about the leaders. We so we we think about recognition often in that terms of looking for the recognition from people above you. But is uh, you know are there ways for leaders to get the recognition of the teams that they're leading? Yeah, and I think that's what it's about. You know, for example, having just said, if your manager knew everything about you. I heard the classic line. It was on the tube station just the other day. If only she understood me more she'd get more out of me. So if your manager treats you with that respect, that compassion, that understanding, and takes time to understand you, you're going to get a lot of reward as the manager. 
So you're going to have the respect um, and the attention of your team and they're going to look up to you. One of the key things I think I talked about here in the book is we all, we all remember the teachers that were good to us at school, that taught us things. Their classes might not have been super interesting, but they took an interest in us. Whether it's a sports coach, an English literature, geography teacher, people who we look up to. Um, so those managers can earn that kind of trust and uh, respect from their teams. So it's not always about... Um, you get a great sense of joy as a manager knowing that your team is following you and with you. So it's not a, it's a two-way street. Um, so we're always, we, we tend to be looking for recognition from people above because that has an attachment to it of some description. Pay rise, more opportunity, more responsibility, et cetera, et cetera. But the other way down is, you know, um, I'm looking for um, recognition from my peers in the same team because I want to feel appreciated by them because if we work together, we're going to achieve a lot more. And you only do that. You only work together if you understand one another and your strengths and your weaknesses as a team. So you can have recognition from all over the place and you can have it from your kids. You can have it from your parents. You can have it from your neighbours. And in a work context, up, down, sideways, even suppliers, customers, competitors, people recognise each other in different ways. So it's all over. It's multidirectional if you do it right. And uh, I guess just just as a as a final thing to close on, what I guess what three things would you tell our audience to just start doing right now to kind of improve their their chances of being recognised? I guess in a in, I guess in a workplace context. Uh, number one is have a plan. You know, give that some thought. Most people just accept the first job they're given because it's come along. Graduates today often have that uh, difficult choice of saying, "I've done all this education, I've spent all this money, I owe all this money." parents have spent the money probably um what but i'll take the first job that comes along or i'm i'm holding out for the perfect job never comes so i end up doing something i don't really want to do so have a plan articulate it to yourself more importantly than anybody else so write it down think about it carefully um and in that plan sort of say what do i want to achieve what kind of rewards do i want rewards could mean finance could mean recognition um, it could just mean opportunity or it could just mean I want to be appreciated. I'd like somebody to say hello to me in the morning. I'm not just a number behind a computer. I'd like somebody to acknowledge me and ask me how my day was. So each have that plan. Be authentic. Try not to be somebody you're not. Try not to be the person who's currently getting recognition as a, as a centre forward. If you're a centre half, you're never going to be a centre forward. Your strengths lie elsewhere. Work on those strengths. They will shine. There's always a defence to do in the football parlance. Um, but that across the board, just be authentic. The third one would be don't give up. Keep going. Because if the company that you're working for isn't recognising you, have the courage and belief in yourself that you deserve it, then go find somebody who will give it to you. And it's much more rewarding. And you can only really do that if you know what you want. Well, yeah, thank you very much for joining us this evening. My pleasure. Up next, 
Jenny Field, the director of Redefining Communications, joins me in the studio to share her advice for events organizers on improving your project communications for better event planning. Jenny, welcome to the Event Lab podcast. It's great to have you on. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I mean, after the I mean, the massive success of your Event Lab workshop, we were so keen to kind of do more stuff with you. We had so much brilliant feedback. Thank you. It's <laughs> <was> really kind. <laughs> and I'm blushing, but you can't see that because it's a podcast. <laughs> well, we were like, we need to bring that brilliant advice to the podcast audience, get it shared with more people. Well, let's hope so. Yeah. So, I mean, to kick off, what are, I guess, the first steps that you'd recommend people uh, do for establishing good communications when a team is brought together, set up for an event project? I think the main thing to do is to really establish the roles and responsibilities of the team. So one of the things I talked about in the session was using something called a RASCI, which is where you'd identify who is responsible, who's accountable, who will support the, the event or, or whatever the task is, who will consult and who will inform. And that's really important because it, it allows you to identify who's going to be actually doing what or leading on something. So somebody's accountable and then they might have someone else that's going to support them in, in doing that. And and that's kind of the first task for me when setting up an event, because then you get rid of any ambiguity and anybody thinking they should be doing something or they shouldn't be. Um, and so that's that's sort of step one. And then working out what channels you're going to use to communicate. So one of the things we talked about in the session was that the event manager might have a certain tool they want people to use, but everyone goes back to using email or using different tools. And I, I said at the time, you know, you have to you have to move people to where you want them to communicate. So if you've got a certain tool you need, then just bring them back to that. Um, but just have that conversation up front. Say, you know, for me, email works really well. I always say to people, don't leave me a voicemail because I don't listen to them. <laughs> just send me a text. Uh, and just be upfront about your preferences. And that will make things run a lot smoother. Yeah, I mean the the tech thing there, I think is is really interesting. Like we have so many ways of communicating now. Mm. You can get a bit lost if you're communicating via WhatsApp and email, and you've got a Slack channel going. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever think that I guess with with so many ways to communicate now, that teams can end up over communicating, or perhaps it can get in the way? Um, I think it can create a lot of noise sometimes, but I think it's being really clear about what the purpose of that channel is. So I have a, a team that I work with, and we moved them from Facebook to slack and part of that is because there was so much noise in the facebook group whereas slack allows you to have different channels by content so it means they can easily see what the subject is that's being talked about um, they don't use any other channel other than slack obviously they use face to face but they don't use anything else because it, it it does everything they need it to do whereas there are other places where you might have a bit of whatsapp i mean i use you know linkedin twitter uh, email all fairly interchangeably mm. and I'll move wherever people want me to move to but I'll always take them to the place where I want them to end up so somebody sent me a message on LinkedIn today I'll say to them this is really great let's move this to email and we'll have the conversation there so very quickly I can take them into a space that's easier for me um, but I think to to reduce that noise it's just being clear with with what platform you want to use but otherwise you'll just get completely bombarded with things in different ways and that just makes it really hard to manage yeah i mean because i guess with with, with the thing with events is you have people in so many different places and different companies as well when you've got you're trying to bring in sponsors you're trying to bring in the venue you're trying to bring in all these different aspects that mm. kind of need to be brought together for the event. I guess, how do you manage the communications between all of the different pieces that you're kind of trying to bring together? 
Ooh, I mean, that's really hard, especially when you've got, you know, the venue, you've got caterers, you've got, you know, AV and you've got all different things going on. Um, for me, my preference is, is email. I do tend to stay there, but I tend to categorise and colour code what I'm doing so that I can see at a glance where things are coming from. That makes it easier for me. For someone else, that's an absolute, you know, nightmare of a task to go and categorise your emails. Um, so it's, it is really finding what works for you. I think if, you know, Slack for me is really good because you can have people in Slack with different email addresses. You can then have different channels by different content, which you can lock down. So you might have everything in one place, but you might have a closed channel for catering, a closed channel for transport, and you can have different people in those spaces. So it allows you to have one channel, but not having loads of noise for other people. Um, and I think that could be quite powerful. And that's free for up to sort of over 10,000 messages between different people. So a nice, easy platform that you could use and then switch off and, and change for different stuff. I mean, so how how often do you think teams need to be, I guess, thinking about a sort of core event team, like need to be checking in and kind of updating each other with the kind of what the objectives that everyone's working towards? I think you have to set that cadence up quite quickly because otherwise people will start trying to set up meetings in in times that are inconvenient to you. So if you're leading that event, so for me, whenever I've been doing events, I would, uh, you know, depending on the lead time to it, I might have monthly meetings, then as it gets closer, they're fortnightly and then they're weekly face-to-face. Uh, and then there might be separate discussions between me and one other person in between those about specific stuff. But I set that up as soon as I know what the date of the event is. So everyone's really clear. This is how we're going to meet. This is how it's going to work. This is what we'll cover in those. And that's, you know, the time to have those conversations. Otherwise, what happens is people, you know, bring questions in other formats that you just don't need to cover. And that happens in, in business. You know, I see people chuck questions out on Slack to people. And I'm like, you don't need to ask this now. You can ask it in the meeting tomorrow. You're just adding noise because it's on your to-do list. So encouraging people to bring stuff to that meeting and that's where you're going to have that conversation is is the best way to do it but having that that sort of cadence and that frequency set up quite early you can still move it if things change and you need to have you know emergency meetings or different stuff like that but having that set up people know okay I've got my Rasky I know who's responsible for doing what I know what channels we're using I know when we're meeting you know so I know where I am and I know when things are happening. I guess when it comes to the kind of the the internal stakeholders you have for an event so people kind of perhaps higher up in the company mm-hmm. who, have, who have assigned you the task. I guess, what does successful communication look like with the kind of the internal stakeholders that who kind of have a vested interest in your event? Uh, yeah, I mean, that that's about aligning to whatever their objectives are. So for any event, you would have an objective or a set of objectives that you would be measuring against. And they might be uh, impact measures or, or success measures or, or usually a mixture of the two. So whatever it is that, that objective is, that's kind of what you're you're going back to have the conversation about. So it might be that they just want an update on the financials or an update on where you're at with a specific issue that you might have raised before. Um, So it's making sure that you've agreed with them how they want that information. It's really easy for us to assume everybody wants to be communicated to in the way that we do. Mm. So I'm quite a detailed person. I love a spreadsheet. I love a Word document. Um, But I've had to learn to tailor that for different people and maybe do a a PowerPoint presentation that's really visual uh, instead of doing that really detailed piece of work. So I think the, the main thing is understand what format they want it in, how frequently they would like the update. Uh, And if for them it's a comfort of, I just want a weekly update to know how things are going, is a different need to, I want to understand, you know, the measurement or how you're going against the financials. They're different requirements and that will depend on what that stakeholder 
needs. You know, some bosses or some senior stakeholders want to know that everything's all right on a weekly basis just to have that control. Um, and that can be tricky to manage, but it's doing it in a way that's easy for you to do. That's a quick update on, on a bulleted list on email, for example, that might be the way to do it. Um, so it is really tailoring it to what they need and why they need it. You know, don't be afraid to say, you know, why do you why do you want the weekly update? What are you what are you worried about or what are you trying to achieve? Because you're in charge of the event and you're in charge of what you're doing. And if doing that piece of work is going to be really quite painful and, and it takes a lot or they don't really need it for anything and it's just to make them feel better, then say to them, look, can we just have a monthly check in face to face and I'll put it in your diary and we'll do it that way. Um, so just, you know own that own that space with them don't let them boss you around too much <laughs> yeah i guess keep keeping keep control of the uh of the communications that you've got with all of the the vested parties yeah i mean it's your it's your time and i i think that's what we have to remember is that everybody's time is as is as important and should be respected whether somebody's a senior stakeholder or not my time is as port- is as important as as yours i mean so i guess when you're working what would you have any advice for when you're having those communications with senior stakeholders, how best to communicate the value, the the achievements that you are that you're doing with the event? Um, I think that has to come back to your objectives. So as long as you've got clear objectives as to why you're doing it, then it's easy for you to measure the value and impact of that. I think aligning on what you mean by value is really important, and it's a conversation I have a lot. Um, so I had a CEO who who talked about value all the time, and I had to go to her and say, "Look, what do you mean by value?" Because I just I don't really understand it in terms of communication. And she was saying it's about risk, it's about risk and reputation, and that's what I'm looking for. So I had to reframe my entire strategy to be around risk and reputation. I was still doing all the same things, but my narrative and my message to her was all linked around risk and reputation. It's the same when you're having senior stakeholders with events and you're trying to show your value and impact, understand what it is that they want to achieve. Because your objectives might be really clear and, and they will be measurable, I would hope, and smart and all the things that objectives should be. But what they're looking for might be slightly different. So just have that conversation up front and say, you know, what is the what is the value that you're looking to achieve from this event? Because I'm really clear what I'm trying yeah. to do. But what is it that you're really looking for? And then you can talk in their language. And then as soon as you do that, you kind of mirror them. And then that makes everyone feel comfortable. So yeah, um, I guess just thinking about you've set up successful internal communication. You've got all the messages going into the right places within the team. Thinking a little bit about, I guess, external communications, how you might be communicating with guests, with mm-hmm. people attending the event. Do you think you need to match that kind of your internal communications with your external communications for, I guess, successful like to have a cohesive message? Um, yeah, I think you. I think your external communications with your stakeholders, so the delegates or people like that, is is just as important. Um, I attend a lot of events and I find the communication generally quite shocking Um, just because there's just not, you know, you can think, oh, we'll have an app and people can download that, but then the app doesn't quite work or it doesn't have all the information you want on it and it doesn't help you actually have the conversations and you're not really sure why they've done it and it feels like a bit of a gimmick (laughs) and then you're left wondering why you've got an app on your phone three months later. But I think there's, you know, that, that cohesion and that conversation that has to go on has to go on with every stakeholder and and the internal communication across your team, you know, they are, they're one stakeholder group really. So there's definitely an exercise when you're having that kickoff session where I would look at, I would do that sort of stakeholder mapping exercise. So who are all the different stakeholders and whether that's, you know, caterers or, or AV or, or delegates, you know, speakers, um, 
you know, ushers, volunteers, you know, who are the different stakeholder groups that you've got and what are their communication needs and when do they kind of really ramp up? Because there'll come a time where you need to do a little bit here and then more and then more and, and then it will sort of, you know, the seesaw effect. So I think it's just mapping out your stakeholders and when they need the communication. Um, don't just assume that you can just tell everybody something and they'll just all turn up. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. <laughs> no. Uh, so I guess as as a final thing, what I guess what what kind of key tips would you give to someone for project communication? Um, I think the the biggest tip is to get everybody in a room and do it face to face. And I know for some people in the session we ran that was quite challenging because they had a, a sort of global team. But I think the more you can do it with either video conferencing or face to face and get people in in a room and go through some of those some of those basics of you know the RASCI, the stakeholder map, and then how you're going to communicate. I think alongside that, having some sense of data and insight into what you're trying to do so that you're very clear what you're trying to do and that there's kind of data to back up while you're doing it. But you wouldn't be doing an event without that anyway. So I think it's just making sure that you've got that, that you're going into that with as much information as you can. And don't be overwhelmed, you know, get your, get a flip chart, get bits of paper and, and draw it out. And, and it's just getting everything onto onto a bit of paper, really, to then take it forward. But that, that sort of planning bit up front will pay back dividends in the longer term to make sure that you've kind of thought about everything and nobody's being missed. Well, yeah, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Lovely. Thank you for having me. As always, you can find links to everything mentioned in the episode in the show notes below. If you enjoy the show, make sure to rate us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. You can follow all that we do on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at eventlab underscore online. If you have any questions you'd like to submit to the news digest or you'd like to get in contact with the show you can email us at eventlab at thanks very much for listening <laughs>